0: God, I was hoping they would have like some cool intro music. Here's Jim! But that's not us. (laughs) Alright, let's open our Bibles, um, or your Bible app, uh, to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Pastor Steve launched a series that we'll be walking through, as he said... Uh, through the parables of Jesus. And a parable, for those who are wondering, what's a parable? Um, A parable is defined as a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And it was probably the favorite teaching tool of Jesus. He was continually using this uh, as a tool to teach his disciples. So today, uh, we're going to be studying the the, what we call the parable of the two sons found in Matthew chapter 21. And uh, we're going to read it in just a minute, and we're going to look at the context of the parable. We're going to look at the content of the parable, and then we're going to look at the application of the parable. So uh, Matthew 21, and I just encourage you, uh, please keep your Bible app open. Refrain from checking Instagram in the middle of my, my, my <laughs> preaching. You're going to hurt my sensitive feelings. Uh, And uh, because we're going to be kind of looking at some other scriptures right around this, is my point. So Matthew 21, uh, starting in verse 28 through verse 32, says, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Amen. So let's look first at the context of the parable. Because when studying scripture, uh, understanding the context of the passage uh, is vital to understanding the passage itself. It really matters what's around it and the basic questions of who, what, where, when, and why. So, in this, we're gonna look at who Jesus was speaking to, what he said, where he said it, when he said it, and why he said it. And, uh, the who is that you, you have Jesus and his disciples along with a very sizable crowd that was gathered there. The what, obviously, is our parable and what we just read. The where is the temple in Jerusalem. And the when, The win is that it's Monday during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which led up to Passover. And as Christians, we know this as what we call Holy Week. This is the week leading up to the Jewish Passover, uh, which we consider the week leading up to uh, what we celebrate as Easter. Uh, As Christians, we know uh, that uh, the day before was the Uh, what what we refer to as the Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city to celebrate the feast. So what about the why of the parable? The parable of the two sons is spoken in direct response and flows out of what immediately precedes it. So we want to look at what precedes it. What sets the stage? What set this particular teaching up at this particular time. So let's turn back and read from uh, uh, the same chapter, chapter 21. Uh, where am I? Verses 12 through 17, just to kind of follow along what's going on. It says Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, they repented, they praised God, and they welcomed him as the Messiah. Oh, that's not what it says. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying Hosanna to the son of David they were indignant they were ticked and they said to him do you hear what they are saying and Jesus said to them yes have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants will come praise then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there so this is the next day I don't know about you, but it's pretty nuts that they can see miracles. You know, we all like to think, you know, this is the thing. When your mind's made up about how you want to live, you can see miracles and it won't affect you at all. This is why I don't buy into, you know, when people people love to pump their chest out, well, show me a miracle and then I'll believe. That's maybe. But if you don't want to believe, it doesn't matter what God does, you won't believe. Amen? And in Mark chapter 11, verse 18, we see the response of the scribes and chief priests. It says, And when the scribes and chief priests heard it and saw it, how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. You hear that? They not only were angry at these miracles and everything going on. I, I, just a quick pause. I think they were angry because Jesus destroyed their business model. Amen. And so, but they were angry, and they feared him because people were listening to him. And so, here it is, it's the next day, and they basically are conspiring to trap Jesus into saying something that they can catch him in and accuse him of blasphemy and arrest him. And so now, we want to read the exchange immediately preceding the the parable, Matthew 21, 23-27. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. So there's a gathered crowd. He's teaching. All these people got healed. The lame. How cool would that be, man? Getting healed of being crippled. The next day, you're coming right back to hear more of Jesus. Amen? And they confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? (laughs) Who do you think you are? Don't you know our level of education? They're threatened. But Jesus answered, I love this, Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The, pap- the baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves. This is great. Can't you see them like huddling up? Hey, hey, guys, huddle it up. I mean, you know, did any you guys play pickup football when you were kids? We always had the little huddle, and the, the the guy who was the quarterback always showed you the roots. Jim, you go out here and run a button hook, and you cut through over, you know, here they are. They're huddled up. What's the play? Right? It, I'm sorry. I, I, sometimes I see these things in, in a cartoon. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> you know, like, um, one minute, you know what I mean? It'll kind of... Let up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where was I? Uh, verse 25. It says, And they reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? Because John based, clearly said, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. So if they acknowledge John's baptism, they have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. But if we say from men, we fear the multitude." For all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he turns the tables. But what do you say? What do you think? And along comes this parable. And so this this phrase, what do you think, is a transitional phrase in our parable is a direct outflow from what we just read, and Jesus not only stumps these men in response to their question, now he's going on the offensive. Jesus was not always diplomatic. Now we don't know what tone of voice he said this in, but what he said, and then the next parable, which one of the other guys will probably teach, is even harder, (laughs) And Jesus not only stumps them, but in doing so, uh, with, with this parable that we just read, he is rebuking the chief priests and the elders, and he's teaching the gathered disciples and the crowd, and this is the context, if you will, of our parable. So now let's look, secondly, at the content of our parable. We're going to break down the characters. The man in the parable, a man had two sons. That man is obviously God, correct? says that man had a vineyard. Historically, everyone gathered there would immediately understand that this vineyard is referring to the nation of Israel, the kingdom of God, and the work of God in the earth. Listen to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. That vineyard being uh, the people of Israel, the hill being Jerusalem. They understood this. Even at the entrance to the temple, there was a beautiful carving of a vine and grapes. Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root And it filled the land. Um, So now, more currently, we can understand the vineyard to also represent for us the church and the kingdom of God in the earth. So now, this man had a vineyard. He had two sons. Historically, again, this would be the Israelites, the sons. These are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were heirs to God's covenant uh, with their forefathers... More currently, for you and me, this would be us as believers professing faith in Jesus, wouldn't it? John chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 12. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. This is what we're reading. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe on His name. How many here believe on His name? Are trusting in Jesus? Then you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. And so, finally we see the work. Go work in my vineyard. Both historically and currently, this represents the will and the purpose of God for our lives. God has a role for you to play uh, in His vineyard, doesn't He? Both in the kingdom and in the church. I, I want to add, you know, uh, God has a role for us he- right here, right, right here. Amen. Has a place for us if we're willing to find it. All right, so we have the content of the parable. I'm, I'm going to, so I don't make Brother Bob mad at me, I'm going to keep moving along here. Although he already, I think he left. <laughs> All right, so let's look at the application of the parable and really let, this, this is where we're really going. As stated earlier, when studying the parables, it's important to consider what he was teaching and addressing in that historical moment. What was he saying to the people right there in that moment? How did they understand this? And then we extrapolate it into what can this teach us today? So let's think about the historical moment. Because as we already saw, this parable flows from Jesus' earlier question about John the Baptist, doesn't he? basically he's putting the, the, the chief priests and the religious leaders right on the spot because, and they knew it like if they said hey, John the ba- John's baptism was from God they're, they're going to have to acknowledge what John preached about Jesus they don't want to do that but they didn't want to say otherwise, nope, that wasn't God because you know they got this gathered crowd there a lot of that crowd gathered there probably was baptized by John are you with me here? And so Jesus is contrasting the chief priests and the elders' response to John's ministry with that of the so-called sinners that they look down on and who follow Jesus. If we go through the gospel accounts of John the Baptist's ministry, we do not see these religious leaders actually getting baptized, do we? We don't see them repenting. But we do see many of the so-called common sinners coming to Jesus and getting baptized, or coming to John. And uh, if we, in his ministry, John challenged those who came to him. He, he basically said, don't be, oh, don't be confident in anything just because you're descended from Abraham. Just because you're an Israelite, God can make Israelites out of these stones. And he challenges them and he says, Bear the fruits worthy of repentance. And he taught that repentance, John did, is an action. It's a change of motive, and it's a change in lifestyle. It's not just feeling sorry for what you did. A lot of people get stuck just at feeling sorry for what they did. I wish I hadn't done that. And then they they make a, a completely selfish event out of it. They want to hurt other people and then cry, poor, poor, pitiful me, I'm such a terrible person. And feel sorry for me because I'm a terrible person. Uh oh. (laughs) John taught, no, he said, he challenged them and he said, no, repentance grows certain fruit. Are you with me here? Don't be confident just in the fact that you go to church. Don't be confident just in the fact that you say that you're a child of God. John taught that repentance is an action. It is a change in motive and lifestyle. And he taught that it's one thing to say that you have repented and surrendered to God, but that there should be evidence in one's life. There should be genuine love. There should be justice, compassion, integrity, You know, there's an old thing that the church doesn't really practice anymore, and that's called making amends. You know, sometimes we we want to repent before God and then pretend that it never happened with everybody else. Come on now. Uh Uh-oh, I'm on tough ground right here. Why is that? Because we hate to apologize. And the apology is the best thing possible for us. And an apology is not, I'm sorry you misunderstood me. (laughs) An apology is not, I'm sorry that you feel the way you do. But an apology is, I'm sorry that I hurt you. And my words and my actions are my own fault. I am terribly sorry. Please forgive me. And then how can we make this right? What can I do to try to bring healing to this relationship that I've harmed? Just a word of wisdom. Some of your marriages will go a lot better if you talk like that. That was free. In verse 32, Jesus talks about the tax collectors and the so-called harlots, And these were probably among those baptized by John. They're now most likely followers of Jesus. And many of them are gathered in this crowd. And so in the parable, these, these so-called sinners, are represented by the first son. And the father says, go work today in my vineyard. And he he answered, nope. (laughs) Sometimes it's, nope. Sometimes it's even a hell no. <gasps> what did I just say? Are any of the rest of you human like I am? <laughs> but he regretted it, which is the first stage of repentance, and then he turned and he obeyed the Father. These are, so these Tax collectors and sinners, this this crowd, you can almost picture Jesus teaching, and the tax collectors and the and the harlots go into the kingdom of heaven before you. You can almost because they look down on this whole gathered crowd as the rabble, the riffraff. The chief priest and the elders then are represented by the second son, who said exactly what the father wanted to hear and then didn't do it. Oh, I'll go. Right? Listen to him. I go, sir. These said and did all the right, they seemed to do all the right things, they had all the right religious appearances, but in fact... As we're seeing and we're looking at today, they were disobedient and in rebellion towards God in their hearts. They had all the outward stuff as if they were all in for God, but inside in their hearts, Jesus made it very clear. Your heart is far from God. You're in rebellion towards God. Earlier in Matthew 15, listen to these words, and I'm going to read them from the New Living Translation. Matthew 15, 6-9, I'm picking it up halfway through verse 6. So you cancel the Word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites! Well, has I, or Isaiah has, was right when he prophesied about you when he wrote, and we can refer Isaiah twenty-nine thirteen for those of you that want to know what he's referring to. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Those are some tough words. They had what I call bypass theology. Okay, the Bible may say this, but it's different for me because blah 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 and on we go. Listen to me, we are in a culture that lives on bypass theology. Everyone's the exception to any rule. We start our set. well, it's different for me. And we bypass, we try to bypass what's being asked of us and excusing ourselves because we are a, quote, unquote, special case. How is it that everybody is a special case? All right, I'll go on. Historically in this parable, Jesus was championing and defending the people in the crowd who had at one time been living openly sinful lives, but had genuinely repented through the preaching of John the Baptist, through his baptism and following Jesus. They are represented in the parable as the first son. But he's also bringing a scathing rebuke to the religious elite and exposing them for the frauds that they really were. All right, so let's move on to the current application. How do we apply this parable to ourselves today? I'm going to go a little bit in reverse. The second son first. I go, sir, and then he didn't go. There's an obvious application for us here. Don't be like the religious leaders Jesus is is rebuking. Are you with me here? And what's really scary is that we can easily become like this and not even realize it. What were some of the marks of these people that Jesus rebuked? They they had no sense of justice whatsoever. They had no compassion. They ruled harshly over people. Amen. And we can get like that. I'm terrified of some of the stuff I see in the church, especially surrounding politics and an us-and-them mentality that has invaded the church. We're called to win the world, not win an election. We're called to win sinners to Christ, to love people. And yet there's this whole intermingling, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to, This isn't in my notes, but I'm throwing it out there because it scares me. Because what I see in people where it's all us and them, oh, stupid liberals or stupid this or stupid, blah, 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 blah. You Pharisee. Take care of your own stupidity. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right, back to my notes. If we're not careful also, we can end up saying all of the right things but not doing them. Or what I've learned about myself, if I begin to do the right things and do them for a time and then trail away as we do as human beings, don't we? We fall off, we trail off, we start out strong and then we start running out of steam I have this thing in myself where I can self-deceive myself because I agree with the concept and because I have at one time personally practiced the concept, I can quickly deceive myself into thinking I'm still practicing that concept when I'm not. So, you know, the practical application here regarding the second son is Are we guarding our hearts, and are are we taking an honest look at ourselves? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 in the New International Version says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That word guard is like you have to be a sentinel over your own heart and be looking at your motives and be looking at your actions. The Bible calls us to self-examination. Doesn't cause to self obsession. Let me clarify that. Well, enough about myself. What do you think of me? It's not a call to self obsession, but it is a call to self examination. Check your ideas and your words against your actual actions beware of developing bypass theology, or what I call accommodating theology, where we we go fruit-picking for particular scriptures to justify ourselves. And we pull that out, because we need to be aware. And the other thing is, isolation is dangerous. Who's around you to call you out on your stuff? Besides your spouse. Or in a marriage... Can your spouse call you out? You know, something I see that drives me crazy is that in the media, men are all buffoons, and women are all smart. Have you noticed how many ads, how many sitcoms, how many things? And so it's become a thing where it's fine for the wife to call her husband out on something. But, ladies, how do you respond if your husband politely calls you out on something? Is he supposed to just listen and you're allowed to go to war? Because that's become something in a society. Oh, man, don't hate me. (laughs) Do you have friends who can call you out? Are you involved with a small group of people? that can challenge you to accountability? Or are you just off on your own? Because there's danger in just being off on your own. We know the Scripture, Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We know that lions hunt the ones apart from the rest of the herd. There's also a more subtle application to the second son, and that is you want to be aware of developing a passive-aggressive relationship with God. Anyone know what passive passive aggression is? The Mayo Clinic defines passive aggression as passive aggressive behavior is a pattern of indirectly expressing negative feelings instead of openly addressing them. There's a disconnect between what a person who exhibits passive aggressive behavior says and what he or she does. You want a perfect example of passive-aggressive behavior, it's that son who says, I'll go, sir, and had no intention of ever going. If you have more than one child, one of those kids is going to be passive-aggressive. They're going to learn to avoid conflict. They're going to learn to avoid you being uh, uh, upset with them by telling you what you want to hear and then not doing it. And we can get that way towards God, can't we? This is what's scary. You know, there's sins of commission, and those are the things that you do that God is not pleased with. And then there are sins of omission. And those are the things you don't do that God has been challenging you to do. And if we're not careful, we end up passive-aggressive towards God. Yes, Lord, we're in church. Tears flowing, yes, Lord. I'll go, I'll do it. And Monday, it's just life like usual. All right, let's think about the first son. (laughs) Boy, it's quiet in here. The first son is a case study in what real obedience to God sometimes actually looks like. Now, look, if every time God speaks to you and you're, no, you examine your heart. (laughs) Okay? But let's be human here. We're not always open to what God wants to deal with us to do, are we? Sometimes we are exactly like this first son. Nope. In fact, hell no. Not for me. Not going to do it. All I can think of is that uh, I'm sorry, the old Bugs Bunny cartoon. We got any Bugs Bunny fans? Anyone remember the little vulture going, nope, 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 no, 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 nope, 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 no, 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 no. And the mama eagle kicks him out of the nest, and he's flying through the air, falling to the ground, going, no, 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 no. That's us sometimes. And all of a sudden you realize I better start flying because I'm falling. <laughs> Amen. (laughs) See, we have sometimes a completely false concept of how real obedience to God plays out long-term. Long-term. You know, when I was a a brand-new convert, I got saved in 1984, I got delivered, I got set free, I was so excited for God, everything, you know, and I was like, I'll do anything, and I did. And hopefully that continues for the most part, But sometimes, as the years go by, obedience can start to look not quite so pretty. And what we need to understand is that sometimes our initial reaction to what God is speaking to us and asking us to do is not going to be pretty and perfect. God will deal with us. He'll convict us. And sometimes, in in, in the early stage, we're not running to the altar in tears. We're like, "Mm mm-mm, nope. And that happens sometimes. So the question is, do we ultimately obey God or not? Do we, like this son, ultimately regret it and turn and do the will of God? Because Jesus said, these are the ones who are going to make it. It may not be pretty, but they're getting there. Are you with me here? So to me, one of the great lessons of this parable is that real obedience to God can be messy at times. And sometimes it really, it's going to, you know, it's going to cost you sometimes. You know, I, I've got a real heart to appreciate uh, missionaries. And, you know, I'm so thankful for uh, and Peggy's kids and grandkids. But I'm sorry, I'm going to just throw this out there. They, they had the joy of visiting their daughter and son-in-law and her grandchildren in Florida. But they're getting ready to go back to Brazil. That didn't look pretty. Because there's a real cost to what they're trying to do and trying to obey God. But what matters is they're going and they're obeying and God will ultimately bless that richly. Are you following me here? Because really when you mark it down, the call of God will always involve a cross. God is going to ask you to crucify self-will to do His will. Mark chapter 8, 34-37, the New Living Translation. Then, calling the crowd to join His disciples, He said, if any of you wants to be My follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow Me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And so what am I saying? What am I getting at? The will of God will always involve sacrifice and inconvenience at some point. At some point, His will is going to cross your will. And don't be surprised, and don't be discouraged if your first response to that, to the Father's call is, nope. Or the other issue is long-term sacrifice. We're great at starting, and we're terrible at finishing. Amen. Amen. And why is it? Well, when, when you start, it's like, oh, this is great. I'm obeying the Lord. Woo! Well, let's get a couple years down the road. How's it feel now? Boy, there's other stuff I'd prefer to be doing right now. And then we get mired down. Oh, God. I'm terrible. I'm going to hell. <laughs> I swear, some weeks I tell myself I'm probably going to hell about a thousand times (laughs) can we can we just be real please we have this thing that obedience is always a peppermint patty moment some of you are old enough to remember the old York peppermint patty ads when I bite into a York peppermint patty I feel a cool breeze Right, remember that Some of us, we got this idea that obedience is always, when the Lord speaks to me, I felt a rushing mighty wind. I felt the cloven tongues of fire. I said, yes, Lord. It's not always like that. Sometimes it is, and it's great. Praise God for that. But sometimes it's more like this, son. Nope. What what I'm trying to do is just encourage you, don't get stuck there if your initial reaction isn't great. Because that's the next thing. The enemy comes in and accuses you. Your own mind begins to accuse you. Look at you. You call yourself a Christian. Look at your attitude. Your attitude stinks. And sometimes, I I, I just respond, yep, devil, you're right. But I'm going to try to obey God anyway. And believe him to change my heart along the way. And he does. So sometimes there's a process. We have a bad initial reaction. We have regret like this son. And then repentance and obedience. And I've already brought out regret is not the same as repentance. It's the first stage of repentance. And we don't know for sure what this second son's whole thought process was like. We don't. You know, Jesus doesn't break it all down. So I'm just putting forth a guess, okay? But I know how it works for me when I run into this, and so I'll just share what's my usual process, and it usually involves, what am I doing? Why am I behaving like this? Right? Then for me, there's usually a, a, a good amount of beating myself up. Anyone else here beat yourself up a lot? I I don't need you to come beat on me because I beat on myself very well, thank you very much. I'm hard enough on myself, you know. But I'm going to just guess that probably what began to take hold was, you know, the Father has always been so good to me. He's always loved me. He's always been there for me. Even at my worst, He's been there for me and loved me. That vineyard, I'm going to inherit it from Him one day. He's not just calling me to go work so He can get my work. He's calling me to invest in my own future with Him. But it's mainly that bit. God's been so good to me. I want to follow him. That's where we ultimately want to land. Why do we obey God? We don't obey, you know, if you're just always obeying God as you're fearful of getting dropped into the pits of hell, God help you, but you can't, you can't live there and you can't stay there. If you're just always obeying God out of guilt or this, that, but, you know, thankfully at some point you come around and you obey God because he loves you. God loves me so much. Where would I be if it wasn't for Jesus? You ever really think about that? And if you think you were going to become a rock star or you were going to become some big business person, you know, that's the lie of the enemy too. Oh yeah, you know, you, you sacrificed everything for Jesus. If you, if you weren't serving him, you'd, you'd be a billionaire by now. You'd be challenging Elon Musk, bidding out for Twitter. You'd be, a, you'd be a basketball star. You'd be, you know, you'd be a star dancer. <laughs> but the fact is, a lot of us were not going in a good direction when Jesus met us. And we weren't going to go in a good direction. He saved us from a lot He's been good to us. He's preserved us. Especially, you serve God long term, it kind of turns into, man, he has just kept me in ways I didn't even know he was keeping me. He's been so good to me, I want to obey him. I think that's ultimately what turned the heart of this particular son in the parable. And it's okay if your initial reaction isn't so great. If you wrestle with what it's going to cost you to obey God, guess what? You're human. If you would not have picked or chosen what God is inspiring you to do, if it doesn't feel natural to you, and you're wrestling with that, because let me tell you, God will call you into things that are really uncomfortable for you that don't fit your personality at all. And you'll, have, you'll be like Moses. Moses is a great example, wasn't he? But, 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 but what if? But what if? But what if? But, 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 but I stutter. stutter and you, 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 you want me to be a, a spoke, a spoke, a spoke, you want me to talk for you? How comfortable was that? Are you with me here? And so if you're wrestling with that, let me just encourage you. Don't waste time beating yourself up. Take the first step towards obeying God and understand you're just real. You're just human. You're just a sinner saved by grace trying to do the will of the Father. I want to just conclude with a a, a a poem that my mother really my mother loved poetry and she drilled this into me. It's called Nobility. Did we get that? We had a slide. Well, I'll read it because I want to be done. It's written by a woman named Alice Corey and she said true worth is in being not seeming. In doing, each day that goes by some little good, not dreaming of great things to do by and by. Just be yourself. And do your best to obey what God's speaking you to do. And leave the rest into God's hands. That's all I got. Pastor, you, Pastor Sean, you want to come up? We're gonna-
1: Thank you, Jim. Yeah, you need that. Um, We thought appropriate this morning, and I know we're a little longer than we normally are, but it's okay when when God is speaking and ministering. So, they're going to sing a song uh, this morning, and I thought it was really appropriate, because as Jim was preaching, a couple of things came to my my mind. Um, One was this, that when God speaks and he asks us to do something... Oftentimes, it's going to be uncomfortable, right? We're not going to um, we're not gonna want to respond. Second of all, Jesus, at the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, he said, uh, those who hear my words and put them into action are like a person who builds their house on a rock. Those who hear my words and don't put them into action are like those who build their house on the sand and the storms come. And so Jesus really says, hey, it's not enough to just hear my words and believe them. You have to hear my words and put them into action. And that's where your strength is built. That's where the promises of God are unleashed. That's where things begin to happen in your life. And the parable of two sons really is the same, is is that. Is this one son who says, yes, I agree, and then doesn't do anything with it. And then one son who's like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. That's uncomfortable. That's not me. That's whatever. Okay, I'll come. I'll do it. It's those who put in action who didn't. So this morning, they're going to they're gonna sing um, the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. Is that right? And I want to challenge you to be uncomfortable this morning. And if God spoke to you this morning, if something challenged you to just come to the altar, you can kneel, you can stand. No one's going to come and ask you, why are you up here? What can I pray for you for? Uh, Whatever you can keep between you and God where he's challenging you. Which son do you want to be like? What has God stirring in you? We normally don't have altar calls at the church here. Um, So I know for some, this is probably uncomfortable. If you grew up with it, you're like, yes, I get to go to the altar. Um, but I want to challenge you to respond to God. Put put today into action. And at least a step of that is overcoming your uncomfortability and coming to the altar while we worship God. And when the song is over, we'll pray and we'll go home. Amen? Amen.